So this morning I got uh, <clears throat> I got a text message or I got an email from Rachel Jones up in up in Canada because she she said she got excited when uh, the um, the email that I sent out this morning about service being on. I, there was a typo in the subject that said service in on rather than service is on. She thought she said, "Oh, I got excited because I thought you guys were going to have service in Ontario." Um, <laughs> So, you know, you never know, Rachel, you know, we could have an uh, Ontario campus, uh, you know, and that reminded me, you know, we, we've got, you know, with the online uh, church, we've, we've got campuses all over. Good morning this morning to our, to our Jaredstown, West Virginia campus uh, and our Hampstead, Maryland campus and, and the people that are watching all over, uh, uh, well, I guess the Tanya's in the Woodlawn campus, uh, you know, all, all over the place. So good, good morning to everybody. Um, anyway, so I was, uh, I was making pancakes last week. Um, and I, I love cooking. Um, <clears throat> it's like actually one of my favorite places to be these days is in the kitchen. And I've been trying to like expand my horizons, and I want to like make some new things. Um, YouTube is like incredible for this because like these are they have cooking shows that actually show you exactly how to make food rather than all the like weird stuff that's like on the Food Network. So so anyway, I, I wanted to know like how could how can I make pancakes without like using one of the prepackaged mixes? And it turns out it's really simple. I won't ever buy that stuff again. So I, I'm, I'm making pancakes by myself, and I, I, I get a bowl for the, for the dry ingredients, right? Flour, baking powder, salt, you know. And, and then in a second bowl, I, 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 you know, they, they, you're supposed to put, you know, the wet ingredients, egg, milk, butter, vanilla extract. I, I've used the recipe before, and it works great. Um, but I'm by myself this time. And I'm pressed for time, so I wonder, like, how important it is to, like, really mix the dry ingredients and the wet ingredients, like, in separate bowls. So, so this time, I just, I mix it all together. And it's a disaster. It's just this soupy, watery mess. And I figure, you know, all right, lesson learned, lesson learned. I, I had to pour the whole thing down the drain, and I just made eggs instead. So, a few days later... When, when the family is there, I decide to try again. And I've learned my lesson about the separate bowls. Okay, I'm, I'm sold. And I tell the family, hey, I'll make pancakes, and, and there is much rejoicing. Th this time I follow the recipe exactly the way I'm supposed to. And wouldn't you know it, it comes out soupy again, like, like watery. I've done this recipe before, and it doesn't make sense. Amy, Amy's in the next room, and I, and I tell her the pancake batter is watery, and she says, well, just add a little bit more flour. And I add a little bit more flour, and it's still watery, and, and, and I add a little bit more water, and it's still floury, and, and then I add a more than a little bit more flour, and it's still watery, and I just get really frustrated, and I'm like, what is wrong with this? Babe, is this flour? And she says, no, that's powdered sugar. Oh, well, that would, that would explain it. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't make it. Um, I mean, I told her, I said, well, at least I got a sermon illustration out of this. Sometimes. Sometimes one piece of information makes all the difference in the world, right? Turn your Bibles to John 9. As Jay mentioned, we are continuing this morning in our series God in Our Midst, which is a study of John's gospel. Um, and you want to know why John is writing this thing? I mean, what exactly was he trying to do when he put pen to sheepskin or whatever? Was he trying to start a new religion? 
Was he com- contributing to something that had already been brewing? Was, was he going against his Jewish faith and traditions? Well, actually, we don't have to guess because he came right out and told us exactly why he was writing. In the first chapter of John's gospel, he says this. He says, For from God's fullness, from, from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law, or um, for, the, for, 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 for the Jews, uh, Torah, for Torah was given through Moses, and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So Torah uh, and the entire Hebrew Bible, the, the Old Testament, the patriarchs, the Exodus, the wandering in the wilderness, the tabernacle, the promised land, the monarchy, the temple, the wisdom literature, the prophets, even the exile, all of it was pointing to Jesus, who came to fulfill it and to be Israel's representative Messiah. And then, at the end of the book of John, John tells us that, that, that after John has told us this tale of Jesus' death and resurrection, he, he says this, he says, now, Jesus did many other signs. He did lots of stuff in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in the book. I don't have the room to talk about everything that Jesus did. He did lots of things. But, but the book that you're reading, the, 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 the reason why I wrote all this down is, is so that you may believe that Jesus Christ, the Son, of, is, the Son of God, is the Son of God, and that by believing you, and, and when he says you, he means you and, and me and us, that, that believing that you may have life in his name. Sometimes one little piece of information like Jesus is Lord makes all the difference in the world. So today we're going to hear a story. We're going to hear, a, it's a ballad, if you, if you will, a, a ballad of a man who was blind from birth and how he came to believe, how he came to believe that Jesus was in fact the Messiah, the Christ, and this story, it's a comedy of sorts. There are parts of it which I think we're supposed to read as funny. Um, but it's also a tragedy because, like as Jay said, throughout the story, we're going to see various sorts of blindness. Um, but through it all, hope remains. And I think the story exists because Jesus desires, even now, to give sight to the blind. So, John chapter 9. Once upon a time, there was a man who was blind from birth. Now, he wasn't an old man. His parents were were still alive, and evidently none of them were, were people of means because the man often begged in the public square. And one day, Jesus and his disciples saw him, and the disciples said to Jesus, they said, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Who sinned? Like, what, what a question. What, you think this is punishment? I'm reading into this, of course, but, but I imagine Jesus could have replied, you want to know who sinned? You guys did. All of the people in this crowded street sinned by failing to care for your brother, a son of Israel, uh, for a family in need who sinned. Jesus says, verse 3, it was not that this man sinned, nor his parents, but, but, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, because night's coming when no one can do the work. As I am in the world, I am the light of the world, Jesus says. You see, what this story is, it's kind of like an application piece and follow-up to the text that we looked at last week when 
when our pastor emeritus, Jason Poling, was here. Jesus is the light of the world. As we've already seen in John, God's desire is not to condemn people to darkness. His desire is to bring light to the world. It could be said that the disciples' question about blame and punishment is just another example of a type of blindness, a blindness that assumes that pain fits neatly into a cause and effect relationship with sin. I mean, have you ever had pain and you said, gosh, God, what did I do wrong? No, Jesus says, I came to bring light to this dark world. <laughs> Jesus is, it's like Jesus is saying, you guys are so lost in the dark, you don't even realize it. You see a blind man begging for food on the street, and the first thing you want to say is, what did he do wrong? Check your heart. I shouldn't have to tell you that, that this has application for us today. We, we have, it happens so often. We see a pain or a wrong and we, we deflect. We ask, well, who sinned? Or what did he do wrong? Or in the face of unspeakable violence in the streets of Baltimore that we hear about on the news every day, we say, crime, boy, I don't know, for those with ears to hear. Rather than ask one of the most important questions that anybody can ask who is seeking to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, the simple four-word question, how can I help? Back to the story. Jesus says, guys, we have work to do. And he spits on the ground, and he makes some mud with the, the, the saliva and, and rubs it in the man's eye. <clears throat> and Jesus tells him to go wash at the Pool of Siloam, which was a large pool that, that folks used for cleansing before entering the temple. I'd have asked to think, the guy's thinking, though, like, dude, uh, you just rub spit and, and mud in my eyes. I'm, I'm going to go wash up. It's like in the, when you were a kid. And, and you're at the, at the mall or something, and you got, like, dried, uh, like, ketchup on your face, and your mom come, comes in, and she's like, get that off of you. And you're like, hey, mom, that's gross. That stuff is, like, strong. It could, like, clean a carburetor. Anyway, so he goes to wash. The guy goes to wash, and, and suddenly he could see. I mean, this guy had been blind from birth. He, he'd never seen a sunset before. This guy had, had heard children laughing, but he had never seen them. He had to rely on other people his entire life to help him eat, to help him go to the bathroom and just get through the day. And now, suddenly, after this little interaction with, Jesus, with, the, with this guy, Jesus, he can see. And now, interestingly enough, Jesus disappears from the story at this point. The man starts walking around town, enjoying his, his new eyesight, and you'd imagine he's in a pretty good mood. But the villagers, they all start to gossip. They say, isn't that the blind guy who begs in the street? Nah, it can't be him. It just looks like him. And, and, and the, guy's, the guy's like, no, guys, it's me. I, I can see. And the villagers say, well, 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 how'd that happen? And the man says, verse 11, well, the, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes. He didn't mention the spit. He told me to wash in the pool of Siloam, so I did, and, and now I can see. How about that? And the villagers like, well, where is he? And the guy's like, hmm. So the villagers take him to the Pharisees. Like, this is, this is far too complicated of an issue. This, let, let's go see the, the authorities on this. And it, it had been a Sabbath day, which made Jesus' actions, you know, a little suspect. And so the man tells the Pharisees his story. Again, he leaves out the part about spit. And the Pharisees say in verse 16, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath 
And if he's not from God, then that means he's a sinner. And if he's a sinner, he can't heal the... He, how, how can he heal a blind man? And they all start to argue amongst themselves. And, and finally, they remember that the guy who had been healed is in the room. And they, and they ask, hey, hey, how about you? you? You were the one that actually were healed. Um, what, what, what do you say about him? And the guys say, he's a prophet? <laughs> Seriously, the guy rubbed mud in my eye. I washed and now I see. What do you want from me? Still, they didn't believe him. So they bring his parents in, who hadn't been in the story up until now. And they ask him, like, you know, is this your son? Was, 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 was he blind from birth? You know, how is it that he can see now? And the parents were like, well, yeah, this is our son. And yeah, he's been blind all his life. But how he sees now, we don't know. And we don't know who opened his eyes. But here's an idea. Why don't you ask him? Now, evidently, the parents had been filled in on what had happened because uh, they knew that anyone who had confessed Jesus as Lord... John tells us, could be thrown out of the synagogue. So they, they just kind of pass the buck, which is, I, I suppose, okay. And they say, well, just, just ask him. He's an adult. He's of age. Ask him. Okay, so the Pharisees turn back to this man and again ask him to explain himself. They say, 20, verse 24, they say, give God glory. Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. <laughs> the man must have been like, the guy's like, listen, um, whether he was a sinner, whether he's a sinner or not, I, I, I don't know. Here's what I know. <laughs> I was blind, and now I see. And rather than be, like, happy for the guy, <laughs> they grill him. They keep grilling him. They go, all right, let's start from the beginning. Well, what happened? Like, and he says, guys, I've already told you once what, 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 what happened, and you wouldn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Oh, <laughs> do you also want to become his disciples? Boy, I bet that really made him mad. The disciples tell him, you are his disciple. We're disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken through Moses. But as for this man, we, we don't know where he comes from. Now, this is all very telling. First of all, Jesus hadn't been exactly secretive about his ministry. In the last chapter, he told the Pharisees that he was the light of the world. And a few chapters before that, he had miraculously fed like 5,000 people. If they wanted to, they could have done what Nicodemus did and gone to Jesus and talked with him. Also, there was an interaction just in the previous chapter that Jesus had had with some Jewish leaders who claimed to be, they said, they, well, we are sons of Abraham. And Jesus says, well, that's great. If you were sons of Abraham, you'd act like it. And then they claimed to be sons of God. And Jesus is like, that's great. If you were God's children, you'd act like it. And now these Pharisees are saying, or we're, we're disciples of Moses. It's like Jesus had trained us to know how he would respond if he were there. If you were Moses' disciples, we love Moses. Moses is great. If you were Moses' disciples, you'd act like it. You would expect signs of redemption and liberation from our God. Stop wandering around in the dark. Jesus is the Messiah. Well, now we get a little speech from the man who had, you know, this man who had until so recently been blind. Verse 30, well, this is an amazing thing, he says. If you're Mo disciples of Moses, you're, you're going to love this, guys. Y you don't know where he came from, and yet he opened my eyes. So let's use your logic, fellas. We know that God does not listen to sinners. You, you, you said that yourself. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. 
Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man wasn't from God, he could do nothing. So indeed, let's, let's give glory to God. Oh, the Pharisees were far more blind than that man ever was. They say, who do you think you are teaching us? And they kick the man out. What happened to his parents, we don't know. And now, after hearing that this man had been cast out from the from the Pharisees, Jesus comes back into the story. He finds the guy, and he goes up to him, and he asks, do you believe in the Son of Man? Simple question. Do you believe? Remember, John is telling this whole story in hopes that those who hear it will believe. So Jesus is asking the guy the, the big question. Do you believe? Well, you know, I was raised in a religious uh, family. My family has always followed these traditions. I, I guess that's a part of who I am. No, 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 Jesus says, do you believe? And he says, do you believe specifically? Do you believe in the Son of Man? Do you believe in the Messiah? Do you believe in the Christ, the one for whom the world has been waiting, the one who will usher in a new and everlasting kingdom? Do you Sir, believe. And the man says, well, who is he, sir, that I, that I might believe in him? And what, Jesus, what does Jesus say that is just so cool? And I don't think it's supposed to be at all subtle. He's like, you're looking at him. You have seen him. This is not supposed to be subtle. He was blind. Now he can see. You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. You see, he was blind. And now he can see. The man realizes now that, that, that he can see in more ways than one. The Lord is in front of his eyes. He had just hours before been, been healed of blindness. And now one of the first things he sees is the Messiah. That's not supposed to be subtle. He says, Lord, I believe. And then starts worshiping him. Now, a good disciple of Moses would have been very familiar with Exodus 20 which contains the words of the Ten Commandments. And right up front it says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. So worshiping anything other than God was idolatry, the fundamental sin of sins. God is God's God. God is God. God's people believed in him. They believed that, that he had delivered them from slavery. They believed that he was the God of redemption, that he is the God of liberation. He guided them in the wilderness when they were blind. He alone is God. And now, Jesus is asking this man who had just received his sight, do you believe in me? And Jesus has said several times, ego eimi. And then he, and then he starts worshiping him. Uh, Jesus has already said several times, ego eimi. I am. I am, guys, on the, on the water. Uh, I am. Do not be afraid of, of the storm. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. Don't you see? Guys, I am Jehovah, Adonai, Yahweh, Israel's long-awaited Messiah, Jesus Christ, the Emmanuel, God in your midst. I want to know if you believe. Finally, Jesus says, for judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, 
and those who may who see may become blind. And overhearing him, you know, one of the Pharisees shouted out, you know, imagine the Pharisees was behind maybe hearing this whole interaction, and they say, well, are, are we also blind? And Jesus says, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. And now that you say we see, you guys act like you know it all. Your guilt remains because you're so blind to the truth that is right before your eyes. You see, the truth is, is not that all, the truth is that, that not all will see, but, but maybe the deeper truth is that not all will want to see. Sometimes God can be right before our eyes and we can't see him for who he is. Sometimes God can be active in our lives and we're so blind, we were blind by our bitterness, we're blind by our frustration, we're blind with all sorts of things that, 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 that intentionally blind us to the work that God is doing right in front of our eyes. I mean, think about all the different ways that we experience God each day. I mean, just the, the, the ways that we experience him in nature, the way we experience him by, 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 by looking at kids, by working with kids, by, by, by thinking about the, the times of, of, of love that came from our parents, the times that we, we think about the, 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 the natural world and the incredible beauty of this world. We see God's blessings all around us every day, but no, we're so blinded by our own bitterness that we don't give God the glory. See, here's the really, really, really important thing about that whole judgment thing that Jesus was talking about. You can trust it. See, Jesus has perfect vision. Jesus sees all of it exactly as it is. Jesus is the one who has true sight, who can judge with right judgment, judge with correct judgment. In fact, um, in my opinion, the judgment of Jesus is the best thing that could ever happen to a human being. See, God sees you exactly as you are. Imagine everything about you that stands in opposition to the holiness of God being accurately identified with surgical precision and then completely erased by God's redemptive love. That is the gospel. Confess Jesus as Lord. There is no other name under heaven which humanity might be saved. This, this, this vision that we get in the New Testament of, of, of this not being um, just to the Jewish people, but through the Jewish people. They are blessed to be a blessing. And now Jesus is gathering all people to himself, this Jew plus Gentile new humanity. That is the gospel we're called to. But friends, we're not called to blind faith. We are called to give witness to what we've seen. We're called to give witness to what we know. I think that was why Jesus was so frustrated with the Jewish authorities. It wasn't because they were fighting for their faith or their traditions. It was because they were so committed to the signposts that they failed to see what the signs were always supposed to be pointing to. The law wasn't the problem. The problem was that the Pharisees failed to see that the law was always pointing to Jesus. As Paul said, the law was, was supposed to be a guardian, a guide, an instructor. Uh, the law was supposed to train God's people for what would ultimately come in Jesus. As we saw in the story, Sabbath law, for instance, insisted that work must not be done on the Sabbath. You know, um, but it could never have forbidden the life-giving re redemptive work of God on the Sabbath. 
So, so if Jesus does the work of God on the Sabbath, he's not breaking the law, he's fulfilling it. As Jesus himself said, the Sabbath was, was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So if I heal a blind man on the Sabbath, I'm doing exactly the kind of thing that you would expect our God to do. The, the writer, Marion May Thompson, says that the big question here, the really, the, 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 let's think about the, the big question as we end this, is has Jesus done the work of God? You know, is he worthy of being worshipped? Is, is, is he worthy of that? The man who had been given his sight back gave his answer. He believed and he worshipped Jesus as Lord. Still, others in the story give this emphatic no. They give a stubborn no. Thompson says in, in John's estimate, those who refuse to accept the implication of the man's testimony that, you know, I was blind and now I see, are those who do not judge with right judgment. They're supposed to be the religious authorities. They're supposed to be the keepers of the law. They're supposed to be the keepers of what it means to be a person of God, to help people on the path of righteousness. But they're, they're blinded to the righteousness of God that's right before their eyes. They're blind to the work of God in and through Jesus. So, where does that leave us? Well, I think the question is, what have we seen? What have you seen? I won't deny that I've seen an awful lot of ugliness. We have seen an awful lot of ugliness. People doing cruel and heartbreaking things, often in the name of Jesus. It's not hard to see if you're looking for it. So often we can be as blind as the disciples were that day, deflecting our call to be a blessing and instead making selfish excuses for why we can't help a person in need. And, and when we do that, the world sees it. I mean, we see it in each other. And we need to repent. We need to repent any time we worship anything but the one true and living God who has revealed himself in Jesus Christ. We need to repent any time we fail to see the image of God in another human being and ask the important question, how can I help? We need to repent any time we put our religion on the throne rather than a relationship with the one who is worthy of being there. In the end, it's not our religion that saves us. It is the relationship we have with our creator, with our redeemer. That's what it means to believe in God, to follow his lead, to see him as our God and father. It means living a life, trusting in him, trusting in his sovereignty, trusting that he is on the throne. Our God is a God that loves us so much. He desires to open our eyes. He desires to open the eyes of our heart, open the eyes of, of our mind, of our emotions, um, the way that we've been living our lives. Gosh, God loves us so much and he desires to heal us. He desires to reconcile us with him. But we have, to, we have to train ourselves. We have to train each other to look past the bitterness and see the God who is in our midst, the God who is working right there. I mean, it, maybe it's just a reminder. I mean, you know, we, we mentioned earlier that, you know, maybe you could text somebody during service that you haven't seen in a while. That's a great idea. You know, maybe, maybe one of the things that we can do to help each other with our blindness is to remind each other, like, to, like pointing out in each other's lives, gosh, this is how I see God working in your life. 
Because like, sometimes we're blind to it. We're, we're so close to it, we can't see it. What, what would it mean for me to go to a friend and, and to say, yeah, I don't know if you noticed this, but you've got like an amazing wife. You've got an amazing kids. You've got amazing kids. You've got an awesome job that I see you doing so much good work in. You have an awesome family. I see God working in your life. Um, you know, you might not see it right now because, you know, maybe there's financial problems and maybe there's physical problems or, or any, any number of things that might be blinding us to the fact that God is doing amazing things in their life. But we can do that for each other. We can encourage one another and we can say to each other, you know, do you believe this is all the awesome things I see God doing in your life. Do you believe? Let me pray for us. Lord, help us believe. Help us with our unbelief. Um, help us where we are. Lord, we know that you love us exactly as we are. Um, you know that, um, that we're not there yet. There's lots of things that, um, lots of work that we still need to do, but <laughs> that work is all under the umbrella of grace. It's all under the umbrella of love. It's under the umbrella of knowing that you are the sovereign Lord, you are on the throne, the price has been paid, salvation is upon us, salvation is in our midst, if we would only see it if we would only see the work that you are doing in our lives. Help us to remind each other about that. Help us to make the phone call. Help us to have the, the coffee with a friend and say, you know, I, I know you're going through some stuff right now. I know you're going through some pain, but let me just tell you, I just want to remind you that I see God in you. I see Jesus in you. I see God's love being expressed in you every time you, you do this, or the thing, every time you do the things that you are supposed to be doing, the things that, that God made you, every time you, you, you act upon the, 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 the person that God made you be. That's how we can encourage each other. Father, help us to be that word of encouragement. Help us to remember um, that once we were blind, and now we can see. In Jesus' name, amen.